Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. So this month, August, right, is the 30th anniversary for Hurricane Andrew, which some have argued is uh, a game changer in emergency management. Uh, I would argue that Hurricane Katrina was also a, a major impact of things that needed to change. Hurricane Harvey is another big one that identified uh, how a response should be run. It was, there was a lot of successes there, but it was overwhelming, just like Hurricane Katrina was and just like Hurricane Andrew. There's big storms out in the ocean literally right now. There's a 70% chance of a, of a storm developing into a hurricane. And so we're, you know, fingers crossed that it, you know, stays out in the Atlantic. But either way, we wanted to replay an old episode back all the way back uh, about 100 episodes ago. Uh, to episode number 20, where I interviewed James Dewar. And we just had a great uh, conversations conversation. If you remember, James Dewar was my deputy there in Hurricane Harvey. And we, we talked about the lessons learned. We talked about implementation. We talked about GIS and what GIS can do for the field. And so in this anniversary month, as we look back on lessons learned, things that went well, things that didn't go so well, different uh, disasters, that true after act after action perspective and it being august 30th the day that this should be coming out we just want to uh you know reaffirm with the field other episodes that touch touch on hurricane responses and hurricane know-how we just had a recent episode with ken graham the director of the national weather service we also had an episode with jamie is the acting director of the national hurricane center Really, really important stuff that people should look at. We want to focus on using our counterparts, looking at weather, looking at GIS, looking at how we can gain situational awareness in a disaster. So without any further ado, episode 20, we're going to replay it right now. Here we go. Welcome back to the podcast show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. Of course, we have another excellent show for you where we have an interview with James Dewar, my deputy from Hurricane Harvey in the GIS section. Man, we had such a great experience out there. A lot of lessons learned. And what I mean by great is we, you know, we just went and kicked butt, essentially. So this is going to be a little different episode where we're going to be talking about that shared experience about Hurricane Harvey, using those past experiences from other disasters Possibly what's happening right now with Hurricane Laura. If you've been watching that news, it's completely ripped through the state of Louisiana as its um, trajectory across the United States. So we, we hope everybody's doing well out there. But with August 25th being the anniversary of Hurricane Harvey, with us talking about it so much this season, I thought it'd be great to have James on here to talk about that emergency management perspective. What actually happened? What what was the, the tempo like? What was the environment like from his perspective and that shared experience. And then we'll also, of course, go into the details of why Hurricane Harvey is such an impactful event, not just talking about the 117 hours of, uh, you know, stalled Category 4 hurricane over the state of Texas, but what those numbers mean to people who live there, some of those experiences that, that we had out there. And so this is a longer introduction, but we just really want to set the stage for having, again, one of my great friends and highly respected emergency manager and one of the most respected GIS professionals in the country who's had, you know, lots of experience, not just with Hurricane Harvey, but with numerous other disasters, representing FEMA Region 10, 
uh, going out there and re representing FEMA as the GIUL in the federal response for Super Superstorm Sandy. He's had the Administrator's Award for Excellence in FEMA both in 2011 and 2014 for his technology innovation. The guy is just really phenomenal. Talk about an intro. James, welcome to the show. I'm I'm happy to be on. I love being the center of attention. So. <laughs> James, uh, you know, I, I'm really grateful that you're able to come on here because uh, you and I have a shared experience that a lot of people don't uh, get to see that side of emergency management. And um, mm -hmm. I, I just kind of want to start it off by talking about uh, like that deployment order. So um, as people may know, when we get out to a disaster, when the national teams get out to disaster, we have to request a ton of people. In fact, Hurricane Harvey at one point had 26,000 people deployed. And so there's a mass order that goes out. And so I went over and begged my boss. I mean, at, at the time we had Hurricane Irma just starting up. We had all these other events mm -hmm. happening. And so the resources were quote unquote stretched. But I begged for James, who I met in Region 10 and... Uh, you know, I, I, you know, I, I got him out there. And so you were like this, like heaven sent miracle for me of somebody I could trust, somebody I knew. Um, mm -hmm. Did I, I reached out, to, I think I reached out to you first before I might've reached out to Rodney. Did you have a heads up before you got the deployment order? I believe I did. Yeah. I believe that you contacted me first and let me, and let me know what was going on. Yeah. And that, at that point it was, pretty clear that I was going to go somewhere. Yeah. And so Austin, which is where we were for Harvey was probably the, the best option. Real quick. We're going to pause for this week's disaster tough endorsements. How do you spell Doberman emergency management? EOP, OEP, HVA, HMP, Thyra, TTX, Drone, PDA. Whenever you need an expert, Doberman emergency management field experts are there for support. Contact an expert at DobermanEMG.com today. The L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio solves problems and is specifically designed for emergency services. How do we know? We field tested it with medical, urban search and rescue and collapse and confined structures. This radio is amazingly tough. Check out the L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio at L3Harris.com right now. Okay, let's jump back in. Uh, yeah. You're welcome. I don't know. Yeah. I, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Well, you, big thank you. You definitely got some uh, barbecue out of it for sure. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I did. You know, thinking of, uh, thinking of Harvey so much this weekend and with you coming on, uh, I was trying to remember the name of the barbecue place that was just down the street from the joint field office, the JFO. You know mm -hmm. what I'm talking about? Like the little shack? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, you took me there the first uh, the first day. Yeah. Um, well, actually, I got there in the, at night. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you sat me down and explained to me all the politics. You know, I don't think people realize how political emergency management can get. Mm -hmm. Um you know, you it, for you know, we have a lot of listeners on here who are either in the military and thinking about going on and going into emergency management, or they're kind of uh, looking at this from um, the ground level and, and looking up at the strategic level. And you know, when you get into a field where you are coordinating between the the political side, you know, those state and federal leaders, and um, you know, response, there is this juggle that happens where. Um, it becomes hyper political really quick. And, mm -hmm. 
Um, I'll go out and I'll deal with kind of the, that politics side. I'll, I'll go into all those meetings, personnel issues, whatever. But when I have a specialized project, I, w- I want the high, most competent person I could possibly find. And so you and I started splitting off on those tasks together. Um, although mm-hmm. you did get roped in a couple of times, I felt bad for you on some of, <laughs> dealing with some of that politics stuff. Yeah, it's, it's hard to avoid, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I have been the, the GIUL, the geospatial unit leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was that for Hurricane Sandy, for example. That was probably the biggest disaster that I was the lead on. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it just wasn't as fun because, um, I mean, for me, multitasking was just testing multiple people. And as you mentioned, yeah. all the pol- dealing with all the politics. I didn't get to do the fun stuff like making the maps and, you know, doing the fun little projects and the thing you're actually, you're trained to do. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, all meetings. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of where I was coming up with, I was getting really frustrated in previous disasters because I was expected to, to be the technical guy to actually do all their maps for them, but then also be in all the meetings and to kind of push the agenda in the, in the right direction. Yeah. I was like, which the, is impossible. Yeah, and yeah. I'm I'm not gonna have somebody come out there, uh, you know, to represent the unit. Where I was like, I'm not gonna have you come out there and have you do all the meetings. Like that'd be messed up. Mm-hmm. So, like from your perspective, okay, like we should talk about Hurricane Sandy for a second, anyways. Um, so let's back up because Hurricane Sandy that was pretty unprecedented for the Northeast. I would think like mm-hmm. that level of disaster, especially from a hurricane. Um, Comparing that to Hurricane Harvey tempo, because we've talked about that before in this podcast, what was your, well, I mean, you said the experience was rough, but like, was it, what was better? What was different? Uh, but compared to the two disasters, what were some of the lessons learned for you? Those were maybe the two biggest disasters I've worked. Um, mm. So what I would say is that um, I think for Harvey, um, Things definitely, um, there was a good flow. Um, Region 6, they have gotten some big disasters. I mean, they, they include yeah. Louisiana, so they dealt with Katrina. So they had a lot of experience dealing with hurricanes. Um, Region 2, which covers New York, right, New Jersey, um, they, you know, I, I don't know when the last time anything like Sandy hit that area. Yeah. So I don't. You know, like I know that their regional office um, in Manhattan got, I think, you know, pretty kind of not wiped out because, I mean, it was still there, but it was shut down. And there was some chaos a little bit at the beginning. And also, um, Sandy was by far the biggest thing that happened at that time. Whereas you mentioned earlier with Harvey, uh, FEMA was grappling with, Harvey and also um, Irma, right, in Florida. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Maria had started yet. Maria started about two, maybe two and a half weeks after we got there. Yeah. Yeah. But there was anticipation there would be more hurricanes coming. Um, and so FEMA's resources were more divided. Um, with, with Sandy, Sandy is um, unique in terms of hurricanes I can think of because it was so late. Mm. Um, it happened. At the very end of October. It was election yeah, year that, that year too, right? I was. It was yeah. an election year. That's right. I, um, yep, I was in, um, they sent me, so I, I, I got the call and they sent me on a, 
plane, you know, to DC mm. um, to work to work in their um, main operations center, right, the NRCC. And as soon as I got off the plane, they were like, "Okay, you're on the night shift," which makes sense because three hour difference. I'm already out of it, so yeah. why not spend <laughs> the first night up? Yeah. And um, yeah. And anyways, um, you know, the election happened. You know, like while I was working that night. I remember um, daylight, daylight savings, or, you know, what happened with the, the fallback. Yeah. And that was the weirdest thing because I was working the night shift, the night shift and I watched um, the clock go from like 159 to 1 o'clock again. Oh, that's weird, yeah. Yeah, it, that was really <laughs> weird. But anyways, yeah, that was late in the year. So it was, I think, pretty much, it was probably assumed there wasn't going to be any other big hurricanes at that point. So, you know... FEMA just threw everything at at, at that one. Um, they threw everything they had. Whereas, you know, I mean, things were just kind of more split with Harvey. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think like with, with Sandy, it was because there's so many people coming at once. And Region 2, I think, maybe was also struggling to kind of get on their feet a little bit. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of a little bit of an assumption on my part. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to throw Region 2 under the bus here. Well, um, they definitely have the experience now because they're doing everything with Puerto Rico. Right. So. Exactly. They're definitely, uh, I think that I, my, I'm going on a theory that they may not have had as much of experience when it happened, when yeah. Sandy happened, but they do now. Um, anyways, it was kind of more like truly managed chaos. I mean, it was like when I got there, it was like people had very little cohesion or control um, or oversight on a lot of teams, including with the GIS unit. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you heard the stories about um, FEMA, like, like would send the same per like not the same person, but they would send a person, the IA individual assistance member, you know, would hit the same house four times. Man. And people like at one point got so sick of it. Somebody actually pulled a gun on one of our FEMA people. You know, they were <laughs> like, this is the fourth time. Um, you know, and it was, I mean, in that case, I mean, still better to, better to make sure, right. Than yeah. not to hit those places. But that just goes to show you that it was, they're having a harder time um, keeping track of, of, and managing all of our resources and each other. And, and, and Harvey, that was a little easier. There, there was, I mean, I think there was a little bit of, of a turf war going on, right? Yep. We were fighting with resources with, with, with region four in Florida um, at that point. So, yeah. um, yeah. So I, I think right there, those are some differences. Um, I, and I think that there was a little bit more cohesion to Harvey, um, you know, from the beginning than I initially found in Sandy. Mm -hmm. Um, so let's talk about, so you, you kind of compare the two disasters, um, talk about the tempo and the, and the changes there. What are some like memorable experiences from you, um, you know, from Harvey, what was it like? Um, so Harvey, um, minus some of the politics that you mentioned, yeah. um, and every, I have found that every time there is a big disaster, there tends to be a little bit of shakeup that happens. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a true baptism of fire. Um, the people who can muddle through the medium sized disasters, um, oftentimes it, exposed in the bigger disasters mm -hmm. they just can't they just can't, they can't handle it. it 
Yeah. So putting that aside, uh, it, there was a lot of great cohesion, um, using that word again, that happened yeah. with our team. As you kind of know, what's odd about FEMA and the disaster teams, right? And this is true with what we do with, with what we did with GIS, but this is, I think, true with a lot of FEMA teams as well, is that there was a, for a little period of time, right? Um, under, when, under Craig Fugate, so under the Obama administration, you know, that was the FEMA administrator. His number two, um, during the, um, later years, uh, he would, he came from the Coast Guard. And he talked about trying, you know, to, to bring that kind of culture of the Coast Guard to FEMA. But the thing that makes it different from the Coast Guard, I think, and I've never been in the military, so just putting it out there, but my understanding is that generally you kind of have teams that you are with and you work with and you build a cohesion. And with, and sometimes you might end up on another team, I, I you know, but I think oftentimes, especially if you're a reservist, I think oftentimes you kind of have your unit, right, mm-hmm. that you work with all the time. Um, at FEMA, it's like they just, you know, wherever they can get people, depending on who's available and the need, they put you together. And so it's exciting. Different disasters, you'll kind of see a lot of familiar faces, but it's always kind of different, right, and different dynamics. Yeah. But it also makes it hard to um, – it makes it hard to train. It makes it hard to create that unit cohesion, right? Yeah. You're just not able to um, – it just every time every time you kind of go into disaster, you're sort of having to recreate the wheel a little bit. Yeah. And also with GIS, because FEMA is still. I left FEMA after Harvey, right? Right. So things may have changed a little bit since then, but probably back, not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, they they were constantly trying to figure out how to leverage GIS and how to use it. And you always had, I mean, GIS is one of the few things they can think of within FEMA, one of the few resources where it just like it varied from region to region, right? Mm-hmm. Like in our region, we were housed within response, um, even though we supported the whole region. Um, in some regions, you know, they had it completely decentralized. Um, you know, because every little division like mitigation or public assistance wanted their own dedicated GIS person. That's kind of like Region um, 6, right? Right. Yeah, it, yeah exactly. It, 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 complete, it could completely vary. And so, and that made, that makes it even more challenging for GIS. Every time you go into disaster, everybody's going to have different ideas or generally did have different ideas of what role GIS should play. Um, and the cohesion, you know, like some, again, there would be infighting. Mm-hmm. Some units would want their own dedicated GIS person. And sometimes there was a lot, it was more centralized. Mm-hmm. With ours, it was as close as I've ever come to it being a ideal, ideal um, GIS event. I mean, we went in there. The, the way we organized the file system mm-hmm. was locked down so nicely, right? You remember that? I, I remember know, how that. big of a deal that was for people. And I was like, guys, I've yeah. been up for 20 hours for like my seventh day in a row. I could care less. Right. Just go I mean, for it. Yeah, wow. totally. But, you know, we were like, 
we were coordinating with in lock sync with region six, you know, with Erica Siggins. Mm-hmm. Um, you oh, know, man, like that's the, a name I haven't thought about in a while. Yeah. Yeah. And region like, you know, and then, you know, there was, um, um, I know, um, um, the, uh, Rochelle. Yes, yeah. Rochelle, Rochelle, Rochelle Trollinger, Trollinger, right? she, yeah. yeah, she was right in our group, even though she was technically separate, she could have kind of gone her own way, done yeah. her own thing, you know, with mitigation. She was working right, you know, she sat right next to me, all of her people working with us. They yeah. kind of had their own projects, but they were also working in coordination with us. It was, it was as close to a beautiful thing as I've ever seen in FEMA. That makes me really happy. I'm going to be prideful here for a second because that org chart that I developed followed that pattern. I worked real, I mean, I had to fight teeth and nail between region six and different personalities. When I got out there, I was like, okay, I'm national. I'm at national. I'm in charge. And there was obviously there's a lot of politics that go involved. Like, okay, it's our region, whatever. Like, nope. But the more I showed, okay, like you can have uh, essentially different departments with all within the same unit. And so I got Rochelle on board, you know, we actually, she, she probably got me on board to be honest, but, uh, she's, she's pretty clever person, but, uh, you know, we, we, we called ourselves essentially the mom and dad of GIS where, (laughs) and yet there was a couple of little pockets, but all those pockets, anytime there was a. Uh, remember the there was an issue with um, flood data or the flood model, and somebody was really pushing hard. I wanted to have my specific flood model, uh, and yet following that file system and following that coordination of okay, we're we're all going to be doing the same thing here, even coordinating with headquarters, which is in a disaster, a beast, a burden. Yeah, uh, just to mm-hmm. be honest, uh, you know, people yeah. who work eight hours a day versus you know actually in the field doing the work. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But, like, just that whole coordination part, it was, okay, you know, everything has to be all within the same head. Uh, and I think that made things much easier to understand people's roles. Um, that really comes back from Rodney Melsick, my old boss, of just, like, I want to know your – he would push me really hard. I want to know your org chart. I want to know every role. I want to know mm-hmm. the numbers. And so we knew all that before we went into Harvey. So yeah, I, Rodney was old school. So Dude, Rodney has been around a long time. Yeah. Yeah. He's retired and he's helping us out at Doberman Emergency Management now. But um, good for him, yeah, yeah, really cool About guy. Time, you know, I know, yeah. right? <laughs> he's probably gonna laugh when he hears that because he listens. To uh, yeah, <laughs> I know. I mean, he he he'd been around for for you know he he'd been there as long as I I knew. So yeah. Um, Anyways, so yeah, uh, I went into to Harvey like saying, "Here are the numbers." As you noted, we never got up to the numbers that I requested. Uh, a lot of people didn't just working as a group in that same room so many times they could have gone off into a different section and i'm so glad it ended up staying because it it proved a model of what you're saying of like cohesion uh she knew every single one of the people that came and were for her Mm -hmm. i knew you and that was it yep and um man that was a learning curve but again really hard um, to, to create that cohesion, but it was really important to do that. But that was your biggest one up to that point, right? Uh, Hurricane Harvey is definitely my biggest one in, in any of yeah. my federal jobs. In fact, there was there was a year where I went out from tornado to hurricane to wildfires, and I was actually pretty busy, um, but Hurricane Harvey by far um, mm-hmm. was impactful. Um, yeah. 
So just for our listeners, uh, we want to provide some context of what was happening in the storm. And so, you know, why are we always talking about this? Why are we bringing this up on the anniversary of Hurricane Harvey? Why are we talking about it during Hurricane Laura? Well, we really want to provide you guys that that um, that background, right? And um, that understanding, you know, Hurricane Laura, if you've been watching that, you know, it tore through the state of Louisiana. And it's going to uh, move rapidly across the U.S. as it disperses and it, and it breaks down. And yet, that's not what happened in Hurricane Harvey. What Hurricane Laura is doing is fairly typical for a massive hurricane. It will go in there and, you know, rip through the state. Hurricane Harvey went there and it sat on the state for like four days, which is ridiculous, by the way. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It stalled out. You're talking about a record of 117 hours of just stalling out a Category 4 storm. A Category 4 storm that produces, you know, 130, 140 miles an hour winds. You know, it created over it created over 50 tornadoes, 52 tornadoes, if I recall correctly. It set the record for the most rainfall in a single rainstorm event. Uh, I think it was uh, like 60 inches that uh, fell in a, in a single spot from the storm. I mean, these are just unprecedented numbers. And so that's why it was so impactful. It set so many records across the area. And um, we had uh, lots of people displaced. We had... Uh, like uh, we had 700,000 claims. We had noted at the time 300,000 uh, structures that were damaged, that were flooded, right? 500,000 cars were flooded. We're talking about 60,000 people whose homes were gone. That's just the homes that were completely destroyed, 60,000 of those. And it took several months to get them in um, into homes, in fact, in, into temporary housing. Um, outside of hotels. In fact, I had a story where um, I was going to visit my uh, family in Houston, uh, Beth, David, and their son, Andrew. Uh, and, um, you know, I was coming out of the hotel and I met a lady in the elevator with her and her three kids. And again, this is several months after the event. And um, we're talking in there and she has a vacuum. And I said, hey, you got, you know, I got to vacuum. And, uh, you know, they got people here for that. And I was kind of making a joke about it. And then she goes, I have to vacuum my hotel room because I need a sense of normalcy. You know, I've been here since Hurricane Harvey. She didn't know it was part of FEMA. She didn't know why I was out there. I was, you know, just visiting family. Um, and, you know, my heart was breaking for them. Um, yeah. In fact, I went out to Rockport and, um, you know, uh, several months after as well, uh, flying the drone for FEMA. And uh, it looked like it just hit. You know, hurricanes take a lot of time to recover. Disasters take a lot of time to recover in, in, in general, 10 years or so. Um, but it was um, it was unprecedented what, what happened. And, you know, we talk about that word. I hate, actually hate that word now because of COVID-19. But the disaster was huge. In fact, were you there when, um, oh, my gosh, I feel so bad for this. Guy from Region 8, older gentleman, really, really nice, um, GIS. Paul. Paul, yes. Yeah. Were you there when Paul made the map of he took the flood data and put it in other areas of the United States? I yes, I believe I was there. I yes. It was a really really. I I I forgot about that until just now. 
Yeah. yeah. It was like a really important project for him. And at the time I was like, why are you doing this? Because uh, uh, like the server crashed at one point or he like he, he lost all of his data. And he had to do it again. It took him like 15 hours straight of working on this project. And we're all, you know, we're in response mode. And I couldn't figure out why. And then uh, he hung up the posters and I had more people in leaderships and in other, uh, other sections talk about that and like, oh, now I understand how big it is. So yeah. for our listeners, maybe we'll put it up on like the, uh, our YouTube video when we do the YouTube yeah. video. This is kind of a side tangent, but, you know, because Region 10, we have Alaska. We covered Alaska. And mm. That was something that we would always try to help people, you know, D.C. headquarters understand the challenging logistics of, of Alaska is that we would superimpose impose Anchorage on um, D.C. Mm. Um, and then have the rest of the state, you know, and you could see, like, Seattle, going from Seattle, right, to to um, Anchorage was like going from um, uh, DC to I think Port-au-Prince. And, oh my you gosh! Know, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you could understand the distances and the logistical challenges of, of moving stuff all the way up there. So yeah, and those things were always popular and helped to clarify and wrap people's minds about you know what what they were trying to deal with. Yeah. yeah. So. I mean, gosh, you make me want to talk about so many different things there, uh, and including the the future of GIS and emergency management. But uh, just going back to that map, for people's understanding, uh, the amount of flooding that happened in Texas was as if everything from Maine to D.C. had flooded, or if everything from San Francisco to San Diego in California was gone. I mean, it's just so much water in that state. and yep, it um, compressed the, the crust of the earth. Right, three centimeters. Right. Yeah. It'll take yeah. a it'll take a hundred years for that um, for the crust to decompress. Yeah. Just from that one storm alone. So, uh, pretty wild numbers. Pretty you know something wild to think about. You talk about the future of GIS in emergency management, and um, you know where where FEMA really needs to go with it. I think that map product that you made for Region 10 and for what Paul did for uh, Harvey is a good indicator of what maps can do in terms of situational awareness. Even mm-hmm. trying to explain it here on the podcast, pe- people might be thinking about it, but seeing it visually and like having that instantaneous like, oh. Yeah. I remember uh, the FCO, Federal Coordinating Officer, mm-hmm. um, sending, he sent me an email, and I didn't even see the email, and Rochelle happened to be there. And she came back and you were there and she, they, they wanted to know, um, three inches of how many homes had three inches of water in it or, or more. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? And, um, I remember getting a, 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 like a last minute request that was, we had to like go into an office. I don't know if it was that one though. Yeah. that um, You did that in under 15 minutes and, wow. um, oh yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, you know, you you jamesed it. Uh, That's what I got. I don't know if we can turn that. But I remember uh, you giving that to Rochelle and Rochelle giving that to 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 Kevin Hannes and uh, Jessica and Sean Rooney, which we got to talk about too because I've given him so much crap about not coming on this podcast because he has a really cool job now. Um, Mm -hmm. But you know, just like blown away by 
you know, the level of situation awareness that you could provide because you're so competent in your job. GIS can do so much, but um, you still have to sell it. And even if you convince people that A can do all those great things, it, 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 it still may not. Um, they have to convince other people, A, this could actually improve our processes if we do it this way or we change things. And change is always hard to do. Well, if you recall, Hurricane Harvey, we had a a couple of, um, how would I say this, cleverly positioned ideas, including getting the drone. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we did. (laughs) uh, Yeah, so... Uh, yeah. I mean, like I said, there was like, Harvey was as close to being a beautiful thing as I've seen. Um, the, 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 the deployment I had the year before in North Carolina also was, was pretty nice in a lot of ways. But uh, Harvey, because of its scale, um, yeah. was, was, it, 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 you know, when, when, when the flood opens, the floodgate also can open for opportunities. Um, yeah, when it was, um, it was two letters that came out. The first letter was from the FEMA administrator saying, because resources are stretched between multiple, you know, type one disasters, uh, seek innovation. And then FCO uh, backed that up and said, you know, if you have an innovative idea that can help out the disaster, go for it. And I knew for a fact people didn't want the drone in different areas. But I took those two letters and I went straight to the FAA and I said, hey, uh, we need, uh, actually, I went to legal first, um, but yeah, we smart. we need uh, the drone, and it can help us with data collection. And Sean Rooney, again, I'm calling you out, Sean. Um, he was a huge part. He actually wrote up the, um, the documentation, the justification for getting the drone and using his, um, uh, his skill set there in writing. Um, we need to talk about how he got on the, uh, the group, by the way, but, uh, you know, with, with him and with reaching out to FAA and, and some other parts, I went, uh, I went straight to procurement and I said, Hey, we need a drone. This is the drone we need. Um, I got, um, the FCO to sign off of it. And the moment we got the drone, it was like all hell broke loose. There were so many people like, Oh, how'd you get a drone? I want a drone. How dare yeah. you buy a drone? There, you know, all kinds of di- different reactions. I yeah, took- I, I remember. I do actually remember some of those. There was um, the I cannot remember his name off the top of my head, but um, he was like for his headquarters. Oh, we don't was- mention his name, ever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> I know exactly. I think you know who I'm talking about. Came yeah. down there and uh, yeah, we had a disagreement yeah. and I won. I remember that. Yeah. I, I, I had forgotten about that until just now. Yeah. Um, wow. This has been a memory. Jet. This is. I'm yep. like, I'm like starting to twitch, like remembering that conversation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. The biggest problem somebody can make about me is that um, they think they can manhandle me. Yeah. Like he, he went in there thinking he could strong arm me and mm-hmm. uh, make me uh, afraid of whoever he was. And I was like, okay, like, that's not what we're about, dude. We're about like trying to help people out and innovative ideas and trying the whole whole the whole deal. Well, he, you know, he huffed and puffed and, and you know, blew himself away. <laughs> but uh, he, yeah. I took I took out the drone, 
to, I took that, I, I kept it with me at all times. I wasn't going to let anybody else take that drone away. I was so afraid somebody was going to take it away. I took that drone uh, to the wildfires uh, later that year, and uh, I found 30 additional homes with a two-man crew and a third amount of time at almost no cost, and that was compared to a 33-person PDA team that was out there for three days. Um, and so yeah. now, fast forward, they're still not talk about they could be talk about policy and trying to do things right. Uh, they kind of gave up a little bit. They could have done it in house, but they handed it over to CAP Civil Air Patrol, and now Civil yeah. Air Patrol is actively flying drones for the federal government, collecting data. For that seems in. to me like a, a good situation. I. I yeah, think. the fact that they went from Cessnas to to using drones. My big holdup, and I'm going to have uh, uh, somebody from Civil Air Patrol on here in the next couple of weeks. I'm really excited to, to have it. He's actually a drone guy. Um, yeah, uh, I'm going to have him on here. But uh, my my still my biggest holdup is somebody with a GIS background who's actually going to be looking at those images, uh, who doesn't want to go through it manually. Somebody on the GIS side should be doing that, and so. Uh, whether it's training or whatever, we want to reach out to the Civil Air Patrol and say, hey, this is the type of image you want to get. It's not It's not about getting the, the sunset at the right angle to make it pretty. It's about yeah. damage collection. And um, there's some some concerns there. Um, yeah. our, our company actually does that. Um, there are some states who are wanting to do it on their own, especially for smaller disasters. And so we have a drone asset and with my background at GIS, we are able to go out there and train them how to do it. And then also provide support and response as well. Mm. Um, so a lot of great things there. Um, man, so many memories. Okay. I, I've, I've teased this a few times, Sean freaking Rooney. I got to talk about yeah. this guy. Uh, if you recall, we requested, I think eight people or four, was it four people from DHS to come out and help with, um, with GIS, uh, and they promised four GIS people, and what we got was Sean Rooney, a writer yeah. with no experience whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the <laughs> day he got out there, well, I forgot. I forgot about that. How that happened? Oh That's my right. gosh, I was shocked. I, I walked out. You know, I actually walked into the planning room, and he was standing there. And he goes, "Hey, I'm Sean Rooney. Um, from DHS. I'm a writer, and." Um, you know, critical infrastructure writer, and uh, I, I they want me to do GIS for 30 days. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. And his yeah, response. Uh, we put him to use, and what did we have him do? I forgot. So we did make use of him. Yeah. It was one of, my favorite ex- one of my favorite stories of all time because he, he went from a zero understanding. He actually told me uh, that in that same conversation – I can go to a library and start, you know, picking up GIS if you want me to. Like the most like like I'm never going to learn this attitude ever. And he'll mm-hmm. he'll recognize that. And then I was like, "No, we're putting you to work. Your writer should going to be working with the drone." And then uh with the maps, the IEP maps, the uh, incident action plan maps, um mm-hmm. they're fairly straightforward maps. But if you have no GIS experience whatsoever, it can be complicated and confusing. Yeah. Uh, so we worked with him and then Jessica and myself, uh, worked with him a lot on learning how to do that. In fact, 
his process of writing and be able to do things um, from like an analytical point uh, standpoint of like documentation, mm-hmm. uh, he gave me when he left the 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 deployment the exact like you're talking about how to um, like how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You know, as a kid, you have that assignment. You're like, pull out the bread out of the cabinet. Mm-hmm. Oh, you forgot to open the cabinet. Open the cabinet, pull out the bread. So he went through that whole thing, and with absolutely no understanding whatsoever, you could make those maps. He did a really good job of detailing that out. So anyways, um, he ended up making, like, the IEP maps for, like, the last two weeks he was there. And that's a pretty cool thing that he was able to do because he was like, hey, you know, potentially the president of the United States will see these maps, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, you know, hats off to him for that. Uh, but that, that shows you from you and I standpoint, I felt like I was kind of drowning there for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this mug that, you know, I held up earlier before we started recording, mm-hmm. I call it my 24 hour mug. It was like, I don't know how many days into it. I was so exhausted. I hadn't slept in days. Uh, yeah. and I look over, if you can't see, if you're listening to the audio section of this, there, <laughs> I had my hand on my fist. My hair just looks ridiculous. I look exhausted. And James like, hey. And I'm like, what? And he's like, stand still. And he took a picture of me. And then next thing I knew, um, as a parting gift, he had put that picture on a mug. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty hilarious. So thanks yeah. for the mug. But, um, you know, I, I really felt like I was drowning there and uh, trying to do get everything done. And... Um, well, first, I don't know. Did you feel like that at any point? Did you feel like you were so overwhelmed with the amount of tasks you had to do? Yeah. There were a couple days where it was, it felt like that. Yeah. Um, just because when I got there, it was like you had gone through the worst of it. Um, and so I was getting there right after when it was what I called starting, you know, the period was trying to stabilize. Yeah. Uh, and so I was fortunate that way. Um, not so good <laughs> for you. Um, but um, there were a couple times where it was, yeah, it, it wasn't as bad. When I remember during Sandy, my wife, my wife came out and um, she stayed, you know, with me in New York. It was great for her because she was in New York during the day, you yeah. know, staying in a nice, you know, in a hotel. Um Anyways, you know, I'd get off at like midnight and luckily we were in New York, so restaurants are still open. And I remember like we would go out and eat and she said that I was so tired that I was slurring my speech. Mm. Um, you know, like, <laughs> like I was drunk, even yeah. though, you know, I, had, I hadn't had anything to drink yet. So, um, it you was, know, that, yeah. Yeah, that's really funny you bring that up. I was, do you remember Patrick McGinn? Um, yes, I do. Yeah. yeah. There was a there was a dinner midnight type of dinner he and I went out to. This is probably our second or third week out there, and um, everyone was like having like this really really nice dinner. And then for no reason whatsoever, we just like looked each other looked at each other and just started laughing. Couldn't control it, and we just sat there laughing for like fifteen minutes, and nobody else knew what was going on. We didn't know what was going on. It was just it was being delirious we were just so tired yeah, totally none of us should have been <laughs> driving that was like the worst how idea. insane it all is right 
a FEMA blackout, huh? Yeah, FEMA blackout. That's a that's a term <laughs> for you. I'm gonna yeah, coin that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're talking about working like all nighters. We were, you know, thinking of that kind of tempo that we were in the beginning when all the reservists got there. They were like, I remember Paul specifically. He's like, man, I've been up since two a.m. Um, you know, f- getting on flights out here. And I was like, oh, that sucks. Well, I have some projects for you to do. They stayed that first day. And I talk about as uh, a leadership to uh, a subordinate, maybe not the best situation to ask somebody to stay up like, you know, really long hours, mm-hmm. but they did it on their own initiative. And I knew from day one, I could trust them because mm-hmm. I was exhausted. You know, they were probably exhausted and they were totally cool. Uh, Paul told me later on, he was like, I wasn't, I didn't really want to do it. Right. I don't have that patience to do all nighters. Uh, but I saw how tired you were anyway. Yeah. So, so he ended up staying and, uh, that first night and they did, they were just, I don't know. I, I, I was willing to go to bat for them on anything after that, because mm-hmm. like, if you're going to help me out, I'm going to help you out. And that's a good call out too. Yeah. I, I found for me what, when it would, get under my skin was I could do all-nighters um, just as long as I had some idea like, oh, it's going to be a long day, long night. Yeah. It was when it came in right before I left. <laughs> yeah. That, that was when it got under my skin. I was like... My first disaster with the team, the, there was a confusion who was working day and night. I was working days and I was just working really long. I'd end up working, you know, you know, typically it's a 12 hour shift. Right. But I was going like 15 hours and staying there till midnight. And the FCO was also my new boss. And he thought I was just going home like at midnight, like six hours early. And, mm. um, so what he was doing to quote unquote, teach me a lesson. Cause he didn't know I had a ton of experience at that point. Uh, he would call me constantly throughout the night from my hotel room and have me do quote unquote reports. So I was doing these reports for like several days uh, for him, getting like basically no sleep. And um, the, you know, day three or day four came around and I'm there at six in the morning with everybody else. And he goes, hey, you know, like, what are you doing here? Like, you should get some sleep. You know, I was like, I'm on day shift. I was, oh my gosh, this whole time I thought you were on, on night shift and that's why I've been giving you work. But after mm-hmm. that, uh, mm-hmm you know, he knew that I would, I would work. And so, yeah. uh, it made my life much easier to work with somebody who trusted me. Yeah, totally. Yep. Yeah. So man, talk about good lessons. You're looking at this yeah, camera. You, you establish trust the hardest way possible. I, yes. I mean, usually as long as someone seemed at least when it, I, I could usually tell, I mean, they usually played nice. Yeah. And, they seemed pretty open and wanted to help. Um, so you know who was like most that? people that work with FEMA were like that. Uh, yeah, speaking of good FEMA people, Region Ten. Um, what was her name? Cynthia. Yeah, Cynthia McCoy. Yeah, she's one of those people that um, I only knew her through that experience, the disaster. But I would have gone bat to bat for her for something that she needed too, because she was one of those people that genuinely just a good person. You know. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Um, yeah, she was definitely somebody that she played very nice. And um, I, yeah, actually, I, 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 I don't know if she's still, um, I think I tried to look her up 
recently. Um, I don't think I found her in there. Yeah, she's but. with uh, City of Seattle now, I think. Oh, is she? Yeah. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. If you had LinkedIn, then you would know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know I need to do it really bad, so that's, I'm really behind the times here. That's hilarious. Yeah. Okay. I know. <laughs> so uh, we're going to we're gonna end up this podcast because I've already kept you on here for way too long, and I really appreciate you taking the time with me. But before I do, at the end of every podcast, we ask uh, – we, we call it rapid fire, where I'll just ask you two, three, four questions um, – the one should be very obvious, uh, the last yeah. one. But um, yeah, just give me your your quick opinions, and uh, we'll we'll go from there. Does that sound good? Yeah. Okay. In emergency management, what's one thing you want to actually change? If you could actually nail it down to one thing, what would it be? <laughs> I know that's there's a, tough a lot question. of things, but I think um, being able to um it depends on the organization yeah um i would i wish it was better integrated into people's lives Ooh, um interesting i like that and one. and the reason reason why i say that is because um and this is something i thought about doing myself even though i don't really have time right now maybe when my daughter's a little older but, um, you know, you think about, like they always say, you got to keep like two weeks supply of water and all that stuff. Not every, I mean, a lot of people don't have that. Um, some people don't even have the ability. Yeah. Um, to some degree, that might be kind of a, a class-based issue as well. Um, yep. When I lived in Seattle, I lived in a little apartment. Um, we didn't have space for all that. And I thought, well, you know, what if like as a community or something, we all had kind of worked together as a stockpile. Um, but just a general awareness in the community and have that more built into our lives in some ways, um, it would be better across the board. People would be more prepared. Um, anyway. A community-based preparedness rather than an individual-based preparedness. I like that. Yeah. Very cool. Um, yeah. So, so your favorite so, food down in Texas was Mexican food? Yep. Yeah, that's I'd awesome. I say Thor Tex-Mex. I mean, Tex-Mex. Yep. Dude, real talk, I still don't understand the difference between Mexican and Tex-Mex. It has something to do I with corn? I think with Tex-Mex, they use more wheat, yeah, as part of it. Uh-huh. Some parts of Mexico might use wheat-based like tortillas, but that, that's one of them. A burrito, I know, is also a Tex-Mex thing. Mm. Um, it's not was not traditionally Mexican. Mm-hmm. I, I know there's a few things like that, but I'm nowhere near an expert. If you were going to name your favorite GIS product that you ever did for emergency management, what would it be? Probably the thing I would probably have to name would be um, a map I made that ended up going to the president um, and it was probably the worst map I ever made, <laughs> but it's my favorite because I had very, very little time to get it done. Wait, I think um, I know this story. Is this the gas stations in, um, Sandy? Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> yeah. I had about two minutes to do it. Um, and the fact that I got it done, I was so proud of myself. Um, uh, there was another one also when I was in Rhode Island, 
uh, back in 2010, right, dating myself here, and I got asked to make this product for the state. And the person who had been making the product, he had used some, you know, methodology, and he was gone by that point. And they said, we need this in like 30 minutes. And so I had 30 minutes to try to figure out the methodology and get this map done. And I went into this Zen mode uh-huh. and I just did it, man. <laughs> I went into Zen mode and I did it. And that's I awesome. am still impressed about that. You should be. That That's why I like you, man. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. That's really cool. That you, you don't even remember, but that's basically what you did with the you know, all the homes had three inches of water and thinking of topography and home elevation and every, all the other factors that you could possibly put into it. And you were able to do it. I mean, it's amazing to, I want to say the glaze, but you go into like this mode where like, there's like this aura of GIS around you. Um, <laughs> we're like, he's working on something important. Uh, don't disturb the man. Uh, mm-hmm. so that's, that's awesome. Um, I remember you telling me the story about uh, giving that that map to POTUS. <laughs> I I hate I I always hate doing the gas station map because there's just so I mean how do you scale the geographic size to the point data to everything else the point feature yeah and yet um, it it does tell a pretty good story uh, so that's cool that you're able to do it so quick and it's that mm-hmm. time crunch feeling right of like I was able to get something out so fast and just give it to the, the to the source that's cool yeah all right so yeah. last I question i didn't get fired awesome you know <laughs> that's so funny oh that's yeah. awesome uh last question most in question of the in- entire podcast what is the best podcast for emergency managers i'm gonna have to go with a disaster talk hey here. that's a pretty good option <laughs> All right, James, thanks for so much for coming on, uh, talking yeah. to me uh, pretty candidly about uh, your response experience. Again, everybody, if you liked uh, you know, this episode, we'd ask you to give us that five-star rating and subscribe, of course, to our podcast so that we can get people like James back on here, maybe even get him back on here in the future. If we didn't ask questions that you want James to answer, please send us an email at info at DobermanEMG.com, and maybe we can, again, have him back on here. And, of course, you can follow us on Instagram, at Disaster Tough Podcast, where you can see a little bit more about James and hear about this podcast. <laughs>